mouth in verse 1, and so we're going to pick up with this conversation in Job chapter 3 and verse 20. So follow along as I read. Job continues, he says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly, and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. May God bless His word. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we rejoice today that we are Your children And we rejoice today that you have given us wisdom in the scriptures. And in this case, you've given us deeper wisdom uh, as Job plumbs the depth of emotion, human emotion, uh, being tested uh, more severely than, than most. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to also gain insight as we look today at uh, our emotions and specifically as we talk about fear's impact, negative impact, that we would learn, uh, that we would understand, that we would grow. And Father, we ask your blessing today upon the Scriptures. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. And you may be seated. What that was, and he says in verse 24, From my sighing cometh before I eat, my roarings are poured out like the waters. And then this is what we looked at, and this is what we're going to continue with this theme. In verse 25, Job said, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. In fact, Gore, Gore mentioned uh, you know, his worries, what he was worried about. He mentioned that just a, a minute ago. Made me think of this text. Uh, we all have fears. We all have things that maybe are in the back of our mind that maybe we don't even ever mention them because it would not be something we want to happen. And the idea with Job is is clearly brought out. He he would give offerings on behalf of his children. He He had fears. And sure enough, the thing which he greatly feared came upon him, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Somebody has once said very wisely and and pointed out that there are two basic motivations in all human beings. And it is the desire for gain and the fear of loss. And most of us have looked at that as, you know, that's not a good thing. You know, a desire for gain, we tend to only look at that as, well, that's greed. You know, we just want to get and then a fear of loss is, well, we're not trusting the Lord. And yet, uh, in the book, The Treasure Principle, which is just a great little book uh, about stewardship, the writer, who I believe is a pastor, made the observation that um, actually God understands that those are two of our key motivations. And in and of themselves, those two motives are not wrong. In fact, he bases... Uh, many of 
Jesus bases many of the, his teachings on the fact that he understands that our greatest desire, we, you know, we, we have a desire to gain and we have a fear of loss and he even addressed that. Ultimately, when Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if, wait a minute, Jesus, if the fear of gain is always wrong and it's always based on some sinful aspect of our being, he would never appeal to that. He would never say, what shall it profit a man if wanting to profit at all was always bad? But it's not. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Again, the greatest, uh, the second uh, motivation of, of mankind is a fear of loss. And right there, that simple teaching of Jesus tells us that we need to consider the idea of what would happen if we gained the whole world, but we lost our own soul. That would be the greatest loss of all. And the, the, the gain would mean nothing. So when, when he talks about, you know, that every one of us wants, has a desire to gain, he, when he addresses that in the scriptures, he only condemns it when our gain is totally based on the temporal, the here and now. He uses the example of the fool who had barns, he had so much stuff, he didn't have enough storage, so he tore down his barns and built bigger. And he was not condemning necessarily the man was accumulating things because when he when it was all lost, when his soul was required, the challenge is, who shall those things be that you've provided for? You've, you've, you've gained the whole world, as an example, and you lost your own soul. And you did not provide uh, for eternity. But the idea of laying, in fact, that Jesus, Jesus even said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. So he's saying, don't, just don't desire to get gain at all. No. He says, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that whole idea, there's legitimacy to that. We're going to talk about that second half. Not the desire for gain, but the fear of loss. Apparently Job had it. That Job, while he was living on the other side of the trial, had family, had prosperity, it was like, you think about it, to become the man he became, God blessed him abundantly. His, his business life, everything was prospering. And he became a man who was held in great esteem. And then he lost it all. And that's when he confessed in Job chapter 3 and verse 25, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. I've had that verse ringing around in my head for, for decades since I first studied it many years ago. And uh, I've come to realize that uh, I also have fears that um, some of them are, are seem to be falling into place uh, when it comes to things that are beyond my control. And so I want to look today at one more aspect uh, last week we looked at fear's negative impact, and it was anxiety. Anxiety. And today I want to look at uh, a second one. I gave three last week. Uh, one of them I decided I'm going to cut out, did a little changing. 
So we're going to look at the third aspect today, which is discouragement. There are three passages in the Bible that talk about not fainting. In the New Testament, they challenge us not to faint. And the more I studied those three passages, the more I realized that they were all in different contexts of things that could cause us to lose heart. That could be fears. They could be you know, something that we fear. And sure enough, uh, the more I realize it, the more I realize these are legitimate human fears. And these things are things that could cause you to be discouraged, to become disheartened. And so these three New Testament verses, which we're going to look at this morning, challenge us to not be weary. Now, the Bible would not even say that if it were not possible and if it were not likely and if it were not a danger that we could become weary. So let's jump in and um, first turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. It's interesting that, um, and, and I shared a while, a while back, many years ago, several years ago, my, uh, one of my sisters changed churches, which was an answer to prayer for me, and uh, went from a, a church um, to, a, to a church that preached the gospel. And uh, her and her husband began to grow in that church. And she shared with me years ago, that uh, they were both very, very heartbroken because the pastor was leaving the church. I think he was in his 30s, or I think he was in his 30s. And he'd been there for at least 10 years, I think. And, in fact, I brought this up to her recently, and she didn't even remember saying it. Uh, but I remember that apparently he shared with the congregation one of the reasons he was leaving the ministry, at least for that time, was he found himself getting cynical. And when my sister said that, I'm like, Getting cynical in the ministry. Hmm. Getting cynical. Interesting. <laughs> you know, that, that, I, I just, first of all, my heart went out to this guy. And I, you know, I thought, oh, God bless him. And, and what was so precious to me was, I never met this guy in my life, but I love, love him to death because God used him in my sister's heart and life and her husband. He, this man, whoever he was, faithfully preached the word and built up the flock so that my sister and brother-in-law grew and were encouraged in their walk in the Lord. And I immediately connected with this guy. And I immediately, broke. my heart was broken over that. Because I thought, oh, you dear man. But I could relate. Again, being cynical in the ministry? It's, it's a daily challenge. It's the thing I fear. It's like Job. You know, what did Job say again? The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And it was only when she said that, that the Lord, it's like the Lord said, now look, lion, that's what you got to be careful of. That's what you got to be on the lookout for. And, and that's when I started preaching. Did a couple messages on being cynical, you know. Uh, and I to- that's when I told you, and I, I looked up the word cynical, and it has the same root word as the word canine. And one of the definitions of being cynical is literally a snarling dog. Now, you can picture that, can't you? And I, I step back, I'm like, man, have I-, have I become a snarling dog? 
You know, am I, am I like, well, deep inside, that's a fear. I don't want to be, if I become a snarling dog, I'm useless in the ministry. You can't minister to people. Oh, there have been many pastors that are snarling dogs that have torn their flocks apart because they're so cynical and they're, they're like snapping dogs. And I realize, you know, if I, if I become a snarling dog, I'm done. I, am, I do not want to become cynical. Now, I, have, I battle it. But anyway, so these, these are, when it comes to, again, let's go, we're going to look at the word, be not weary. Three times, we're going to look at three texts in Scripture. First one is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. And these are all three reasons. Every one of these things, Paul's saying, hey, don't be weary in this scenario. Don't be weary in this scenario. And you could even say, don't be cynical. Don't become cynical. Don't quit. Don't become disheartened in this scenario. And there's three scenarios. First, let me just give them to you. The first one is serving serving in a sin-cursed world can make you cynical and can bring something you don't want to happen upon you. Second, sighing. Oh, like that. That happens when we... Well, that'll be Galatians 6, 9, and then the next one's Ephesians 3, 13. Let's just jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 16. Paul is right into the believers and explaining. He says, uh, in fact, let me go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, oh, you're, you're there, aren't you? Did I ask you to turn there? I asked you to turn there. I didn't turn there. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In fact... If we look at verse 1, Paul says, seeing, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We faint not. We don't lose courage or we don't lose strength. In other words, it's possible. That's why I said, you know, cynical in the ministry. I was kind of making, you know, mocking that because it's very real. Paul says, seeing we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, now this is gospel ministry, we have this ministry, it's the ministry of the gospel, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto him. And now he goes on, if you look down to verse um, verse 15, he said, For all things are for your sakes. We've looked at that. That is a great text right there. Things don't happen to us. Things happen for us. All things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many Redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. In other words, God's in charge. God's grace and supply is what enables us to do anything of ministry to be a blessing to others. And so for this cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inner inward man is renewed day by day. And this is when he says... 
our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we've got, we've got what's happening to us on the outside. We live in a sin-sick, sin-cursed world. Because of Adam's sin, death passed upon all men. The curse, you and I, folks, we live. That's we, I go back to a couple weeks ago. Mortality. We live under the sentence of death. And we have to minister in that context. We are ministering as mortals, as people that are dying, to dying people. That's what we're doing. And it's so easy when you and I experience death. You and I live in this sin-cursed world. And, and I've noticed... over. 30 years being here, that everybody has a dread. And it's become so common. And it's, it's like everyone's on the same page. It's a fear that everyone has. And all I need to do is mention a letter. And you know what I'm talking about. The C word. Teleologist did that. The, the doctor. The C word, right? It's It's... It's the fear. It's something that hangs over all of us as mortals. I don't want to hear my doctor ever say that. Do you? But many. Many have. And many will. And of course, uh, in our home, uh, the big C, brain cancer, uh, has just hit. And uh, it makes you feel helpless. I remember when I first got saved, there was a man at Bible Baptist, Don Adams, who, um, I remember somebody had given him a track one time and he went and put it in his bureau. And then someone from Bible Baptist went knocking on his door and started giving the gospel. And he said, wait a minute, you know what? And he ran upstairs and got the track and he got led to the Lord that night. And then he went and witnessed to his family. Now, this might be like a fish story. You know, the fish stories, you always start, you get a fish, and then it gets bigger and bigger. And, and At least in my mind, it seems like, and, and I do remember him sharing that, he then went and like witnessed to a bunch of his family, and like it seemed like one after the other was getting saved. I mean, like it, it was like, I, I don't know what it was, but the, this guy, he got saved, and then he witnessed to his wife, and, you know, I, I, again, I don't remember... In my mind, it's like every grandparent, every cousin, every nephew, every niece, all his neighbors, everyone he works with, they all got saved. Now, I'm sure that that's the fish getting bigger. But I remember having that in my mind because that's what I wanted. I wanted everyone in my family to get saved. And I had that vision. I had that confidence, that bombast that I started plunging headlong into witnessing to everybody and anybody. And not always with the, the greatest tact. And here I am now, decades later, and my whole family didn't get saved. And that's, that's not what I fe- It was, you know, what Job said, the thing I fear greatly has come upon me. It's like, I knew this could happen. I knew this could happen. It's It's life. But you and I are living in a sin-cursed world. I am reminded of 
in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, For I, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul knew what it was like. He wanted his, he wanted his beloved Jewish brethren he wanted the Jews to be saved so much so that he said, I'd, I'd be willing to be accursed. If you have unsaved family, you know what that is, don't you? I mean, family members that you love, and, and you would if it were possible, because you the, the reality of salvation is so real and true in your mind. You know salvation is real. You know there's a heaven and a hell. You know that people are going to go to hell that do not receive Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about it. And you know that God has saved you from that. And you just want to share it with everyone. And, and you know, it's such a helpless feeling when you realize that we are not able to control whether someone gets saved or not. That is a very helpless feeling. In the beginning, I remember witnessing and thinking, I've shared a Peter Carty illustration where he shared some, he witnessed to some guy, I forget when this was, and, and I'm not sure if it was an evening service, which would have been less, but I think it was an evening service, so many of you didn't hear this. Uh, Peter Carty was talking about preaching to someone that didn't believe the Bible. It was either him or a friend who was witnessing someone. He said, well, I don't believe the Bible. And it didn't phase the guy at all. And he said, that's okay. You know what the Bible says? And he took him to Romans chapter 3 and verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And then he says, God forbid, no way. Meganoi is the Greek. No way. In other words, so what if some people don't believe? Does that nullify the word of God? No, the word of God is still quick and powerful. And so he shared that with the guy. And the guy said, you know, he said, well, I don't believe the Bible as if to disarm him. And he threw the Bible right back with that verse. So the guy went home and he opened the door and he heard the creak. And as he opened the door, he could hear, for what if some did not believe? Shall that their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? Then he went in the house and he opened the cupboards. And you could hear as the cupboard creaked, it was saying, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? And it was like, he kept hearing it every which way, like 20 different ways. And it was, it, it, of course, it was, it was a, an analogy. He was saying that the guy couldn't get that verse out of his mind. And he ended up getting saved. And I remember hearing that and thinking, that's it. It's that simple. Cool. And, and in fact, I even started quoting that verse to people, you know, just like it's a magical verse. And I think I'm, I'm expecting the Don Adams effect. I'm expecting like whoever I say this verse, I'm going to share this verse and all of a sudden they're going to get saved. Like, like beyond their control. And then people didn't get saved. Some people did, some didn't. But you know, it's a helpless feeling when... You realize you don't... We have control to present the gospel to people, by the way. And that is our obligation. You know, we... We're we we, we are going to answer to God whether or not we've shared the gospel. I remember uh, our wedding day. I thought, you know what? We are never going to have all of our family and all of our loved ones in the same place in one time. 
and John Caputo did it. it I'd never heard it done before, and I've not heard of many doing it now where he shared his testimony, and I thought, I want to share my testimony in our wedding. And, and again, you know, all the people that were there, and it was, it was so hard for my parents because they're sitting in the front row, and it breaks my heart that it was hard for them. Because I started going off into the gospel and I know it, they were very uncomfortable because they were sitting right in the front row. But I'm looking out. And in fact, we've looked at the wedding video since then. Uh, 80s, 1986 wedding video. Not the high def kind that you have today. And, I, and as Sue Speaker panned across the congregation, uh, over the years we've gone back and looked at that and one by one, and my old boss, old neighbor, old friend, they're, they're just one by one, they're dying. And I can say, you know, I can say, I am free from the blood of these people because I shared the gospel. And, and I know I wanted more than that. I, I want every single one of those people in that room to get saved, to become born again, to be washed in the blood, to be on their way to heaven. I don't have that power. The gospel saves souls. But you know, God has created the challenge for us that all we can do is give the gospel and then God does the rest. And so, as far as George Mueller made that statement that the death of an unsaved near relative has got to be one of the hardest things to face. But he closed with this. He said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know what? I can rest in that. God's in charge. He knows what He's doing. Galatians 6, 9. Again, we're not even going to finish this. I am so horrible at sticking to the... You know, getting my points under in time. But you folks, you few, you faithful few, have tolerated it, and I thank you. What's that? Amen, Mike. That's, I'm hoping that's the case, Mike. I am. I am definitely hoping that. All right, Galatians chapter 6. The last point we'll hit is this. And this has to do another let us not be weary. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Paul says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, and then the statement, if we faint not. Now let's look at the context. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh... Now, the whole context then is, do not think God is not mocked. How would God be mocked? For someone to think, and this is what he's saying, basically, God is mocked for those who think they can get away with things and that there are no consequences to their actions. And so Paul says, be not deceived, God is not mocked, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That goes back to the verse in Ecclesiastes that because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, in other words, you don't reap what you sow immediately. God doesn't go around like like, um, Ananias and Sapphira where as soon as they're caught, they're, they're killed, right? That, God doesn't do that. 
He, he is merciful. He gives space to repent. But because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully sit, set in them to do evil. evil. In other words, people will start, it's like you're throwing one seed and you're waiting for the lightning to strike. Speaking about doing evil in that ca- case. And you're like, all right, I didn't die. I'm going to sow a bad seed over here. And nothing happens. And so you're like, oh, you know what? I'm getting away with it. So you start sowing seed, wicked seed. And, and that because Ecclesiastes is saying in chapter 8, that because of that, you don't, you know, you don't get, it doesn't, it's not executed speedily. Therefore, people get the assumption and their heart is fully set in them to do evil. It's like, you know what? I'm getting away with it. And, and that's when God is mocked. He's saying, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. But then also has to do with the other end. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And then he says, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, different time, you will reap if you faint not. If you faint not. And that's the challenge. Challenge is to not not count things too early. In other words, you sigh, you're assessing things. Oh, that's what Asaph did. I think it was was it last Sunday morning. I I used Asaph in Psalm 73, uh, where he he looked around, he saw bad, bad people getting away with it, and he thought, you know what? He struggled with realizing and thinking that God was good. He had to he had to step back, and sometimes. You and I tend to judge things prematurely. And I, I want to close with the, this. Years ago, I was at a pastor's conference and I planned ahead of time. There was a dear man, a pastor, who had pastored in Delaware County many years ago, even before I got saved. And uh, when I got saved and I started pastoring, he was involved in our state fellowship. He was pastoring another church. And he pastored into his 90s. And he was retired a few years. He pastored in Newtown Square, in our neck of the woods. And um, he was getting old and, and he could not pastor anymore. He, in fact, he was available for pulpit supply for a while. And then that was just too much for him. And I thought, I, you know, I found out he was, I was going to be, we were having a conference at the church he was attending. I said, I want to take you out to eat. And uh, I'm, I'm like... The, I've got something to learn from this guy. He's in his 90s. He's been a pastor. And he's not cynical. That's, you know, I got, I got to sit at your feet was my attitude. You know, I want to treat you to lunch. And then I'm going to eat while you just talk. You know, I'm going to fire questions at you. And we did that. And he really opened up. But, but I'll never forget. I'll never forget. He started crying. In his, in, in his time, he started crying. And he said, I, I feel like I've been put out to pasture. Because, he, you know, he's, he's, he's no use anymore. In, in the sense that he, he can't get around. He can't preach. And I can just picture him crying and feeling like his, his life was useless. Not bitter, not, not cynical in that sense. Other than just, I'm done. I'm washed up. And, and, I, and I remember, now this is where, with that thought, where I, I, I started to get down the wrong road 
You know the snarling dog? Start going down that wrong road. And I start thinking, and I've not forgotten that because I went away from there and I thought, so this is what I have to look forward to. You know? I've, I've, okay, I get it. Because I'm telling you what, when you're in the ministry, when you're pastoring a church, it is, forgive me for abusing this word, this phrase, it is the tyranny of the urgent. You want to feel needed, become a pastor because... People want to talk to you all the time. And it's, it's an honor. It is a blessing. People want to, you know, they want your counsel. And, and if something comes up, there's an emergency or a tyranny of the urgent. People are calling you all the time. And I'm looking at this dear man. And I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, the ministry started to me to become like a merry-go-round. Or, and by a merry-go-round, I don't mean the, the, the horses that go up and down with the soft music, you know. I'm talking about, remember the playground when you were younger? I think these are probably illegal now. In fact, I think they call them spinners. Some of them do. Carousels. Uh, do you remember that? The metal thing, you get on it, you hang on it, some people push it, and you just start spinning around until you fly off. Or you get so sick that you're like, stop, please stop, and and, you know, we love those things. But all of a sudden, I started thinking, so that's what life's like in the ministry. Uh, I, you know, you're like, you're just, you're spinning around. And then, and, and like, you know, while it's going on, you're thinking, I just want to get off for a little bit. And then you become this man sitting there. And nobody's calling him. You know, they've moved on and. He's just sitting there, you know. He, he looked like he was just wanting someone to talk to. And I thought, wow. And, and you know, what came to my mind is what Job said. That which I fear greatly is come upon me. And I'm like, okay. But here's the problem. That's judging things before the time. What did Paul say? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. You know what, folks? Judgment Day, the, the end scenario is not our retirement or when we become too old on this earth. The end conclusion is when you and I go to heaven. And I guarantee you that dear man, that dear pastor, is gonna, his heart is going to rejoice when he hears from the Savior, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he would say, he will say, he, he has said, he's passed away already. He said, it will be worth it all. It is worth it all. The sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared. It will be worth it all. I don't know what you're going through. Sometimes the Christian life can be a challenge. It's not meant to be a, a bed of roses. It's not meant to be easy street because we live in a sin cursed world whether it's people dying whether it's people not being teachable uh, there have been so many people not so many but there have been people that I have poured my life into and I thought that I was making an impact on them and then only to find out that I wasn't making an impact at all so are we only supposed to do what we do if we get X number of people that respond no, I, I'm telling you, tell Allah a couple months ago, 
made the suggestion that I preach through Jeremiah. And, um, you know, usually, I, I guess I'm getting older now because it used to be when I was a young preacher and people would say, you should preach on this. I'd like, get all sensitive, like, what are you saying? I'm not preaching on the right thing, you know? Um, but when Tell Alice said that, I'm like, you know what? I've been, been really tossing around doing a book study. And he just mentioned Jeremiah. And I want to tell you something that, that's been medicine for me. Because Jeremiah was called to a people at a time like we are in America. People don't want the Lord. People don't want the gospel. And people didn't want... The Jews didn't want, they did not want Jeremiah's message. Thank you, brother, for suggesting that. And I imagine I, I'm going I'm to be preaching that until I'm visiting a young pastor in a, in a restaurant and I'm in my 90s and I start crying. I just finished Jeremiah. No. <laughs> but listen, it is so worth it. And, and again, we have to realize, we have to look at the end game and realize the end game is not next year. The end game is not 10 years from now. And the end game, the success or failure of the end game, is only going to be determined on Judgment Day. And more than anything in the world, I want to hear our Savior say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious congregation. I pray, Father, that you would help us because we all have fears. Uh, like Job, uh, we have things that, Lord, you don't want us to be living in dread. And you want us to just commit our way to you. You don't want us to be weary in well-doing. Despite the fact that there are things that can weary us. Whether it's the presence of sin. Whether it's the, the longevity of not getting rewarded for good uh, for a while or any of the other things. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be so committed to doing right because it is right, and to to living for eternity, that we would not be weary in well-doing. Because Father, as we do that, we know we're bringing glory to you. And that's what we want. We want to honor you above all. Father, some people will get saved. Some people will not. Some people will respond To Bible teaching, some people will not. But Father, the most important thing is that we would be faithful. So help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out. Let's all stand and we will close in song.